Would you please open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 15? And for those of you who are expecting us to start the book of Titus today, please be patient with me. I plan to start our study in Titus next Sunday. As I prayed about whether to start our new series this Sunday or next, I was thinking through that, praying through that, and the last time I got to preach was two weeks ago, and that was Christmas Eve. So, of all things, Christmas Eve, I was sitting there watching a movie with my family, and I got this strong sensation of, this is what you need to preach on the first Sunday in the new building. So, I can't fully explain that to you. I don't know. There may be somebody in this room that this is for. There may be somebody joining us online. Thank you. Maybe for that person. But I do believe that God led me to this passage and is faithful to his word. And so this is for somebody, or maybe several somebody, this morning. Do you ever struggle with losing things? Maybe it's your keys, or your wallet, maybe it's your phone. I can relate to that. And it can be frustrating. This chapter of the Bible is all about lost things. And I have some good news for you. Because according to Luke 19.10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. We read those words earlier in our scripture reading. They're the words Jesus said to Zacchaeus after Zacchaeus had repented of his sin. Jesus came to seek the lost. In Luke 15, Jesus told a parable in three parts about lost things and lost people. I'm going to ask you to stand as I read our passage, and I'd like you to follow along. We'll read this passage. This is all of Luke chapter 15, and then I'll pray. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him, that is to Jesus, to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. Or what woman? Having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. 
and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But he would, when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Look, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you were always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again. And was lost is found. Let's pray together. Our Father, this is a very familiar passage. And yet it's such a beautiful passage. And as we study it together today, we ask for the help of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you anoint me with power that I would preach your word accurately? Clearly, boldly. Holy Spirit, would you give us ears to hear? Would you give us hearts that are ready to receive the seed of your word? Would you allow it to take root? Would you water it? Would you allow it to grow in our lives today? That we would be changed by hearing you in your word? Father, let your Holy Spirit give us understanding this morning. That we would know exactly what you're saying to us and exactly how you want us to respond. And I pray that you give us the grace and the courage to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. you to study the Bible on your own if you don't already is to look through the passage and see what ideas are repeated, what words are repeated. And as I did that with this section, here are the key words I found. 
And there are a couple different forms for some of them. But if you mark in your Bible, look for these words as we're studying back through it. Loses or lost. Finds or found. Joy. Rejoice. Rejoicing. And repents or repentance. Here's the main point. Here's the main idea. What I would like you to remember when you go from here today. Heaven rejoices when sinners repent. Heaven rejoices when sinners repent. We're going to see that in verses 7, verse 10. Those are explicit, and I believe it's implied when we get to verse 22. And here are the questions I would like each person to ask yourself as we study through this today. Question one, have I repented? Have I ever repented of my sin and turned to Christ? Question number two, do I rejoice when others repent? Do I rejoice when others repent? We're going to see that in verses 25 to 32. Go back with me to verse 1, and we're going to work our way through the passage. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him, that is to Jesus, to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. The tax collectors and the sinners were the outcasts of, Je of Jewish society because of their sinful lifestyle. They were defiled. They were unclean. And the religious leaders, therefore, wanted to distance themselves from those people. But this group of people was comfortable around Jesus. They drew near to hear him. These people, notice, they knew they were sinners, but they came to Jesus. They drew near to him. Why? In order to hear him. Do we know, do we understand, do we believe that we are sinners? Do we draw close to Jesus? Do we desire to hear him? Do we live our lives and speak our words in such a way that sinners want to be around us and listen to us? How did these religious people respond? They complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Why were they upset? Because these people that Jesus chose to associate with were sinful and ceremonially unclean. Luke's Gospel records two similar situations. One is back in Luke chapter 5. This is at Matthew's house. What do you remember about Matthew before Jesus called him to be a disciple? He was what? A tax collector. Same type of situation. The tax collectors were considered sinful because they were considered those who had betrayed their nation. And here's what we read at Matthew's house. Luke 5.30, And their scribes and the Pharisees did what? Complained, same word, against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. How many of you just go to the doctor for fun? Anybody? Nobody put your hand up. What about the dentist? You go to the dentist for fun? No. Generally, no. But you go there when you're sick, when you have a toothache. And Jesus is saying, I haven't come to call the righteous, those of you who are living right, here called sinners to repentance. 
And he is the great physician, it's not that passage, but he is the one who can heal every sickness, every disease, every sin. So he's come to those who are sick. Well versus sick, righteous versus sin. And then we read this one earlier in our scripture reading, but Luke 19, at Zacchaeus' house, but when they saw it, when they saw what? That Jesus had gone to Zacchaeus' house for a party. When they saw it, they all complained, saying, he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. What did Jesus say? The Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. There we have the word sinner and the word lost. Spiritually speaking, are you well or are you sick? Are you righteous or are you sinful? Are you lost? If so, Jesus came to seek and to save you. And that's good news. Here's how Paul put it in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 1.15. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You know, to say, who am I chief? Verse 3 in our passage, back in Luke 15. So Jesus spoke this parable to them, saying, and we'll get to the parable in a moment, who's the them? They need to know. He spoke this parable to them. It's not defined. I believe it's talking about the Pharisees and scribes in verse 2. And that detail is important. We'll come back to it near the end today. Now this is a parable. It'll be good for us to know what a parable is. It's not two male cattle. That's a parable. It's a parable. A parable is an illustration. It's a picture story. And here... I believe the very words of Scripture inspired, and this is singular. It says he spoke this parable to them. So although we could look at this as three parables, and many people do, if you have a Bible like mine, you probably have broken down with headings for each one, the parable of the parable of. That's fine. But it says the parable of, I believe this is one parable with three parts. Verse 4. Let's get into the first part. What man of you, having a hundred sheep that loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Now let's understand, the ninety-nine sheep are important to the shepherd. Not that they're unimportant. But since they're already safe and accounted for, he leads them to search for the one that is in danger. And notice that he searches for that one until he finds it. Then he comes home rejoicing that he's found what was lost. Verse 7 gives us Jesus' own application. Verse 7, I say to you, that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. More joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. That's our main point for the first time in our text. First time it appears, heaven rejoices when sinners repent. But what does Jesus say? That there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. 
Well, let's understand that in reality, there is only one who is righteous. There's only one who didn't need to repent. That's Jesus. He's the only righteous one. But because of his death and resurrection, we're declared righteous in him. And that's cause for rejoicing. Now, often there's some symbolism, some imagery in parables. So in this section of the parable, who is the shepherd? The answer is the good shepherd, Jesus. John 10, 11 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. That's Jesus. So I believe this section of the parable shows us Jesus. And who are the sheep? We are. All of us either still are or once were that sheep who wandered off. Isaiah 53 puts it this way. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Now let's move to the second section of this parable. This is the shortest one. Verse 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Now these ten silver coins sounds a little weird to us, I realize. But these weren't just pocket change. It's not that she lost a penny. And she's going to look for it because it's important to her. According to Warren Wearsby, when a Jewish girl married, she began to wear a headband of ten silver coins to signify that she was now a wife. It was the Jewish version of our modern wedding ring. And it would be considered a tragedy for her to lose one of those coins. Doesn't mean she wasn't married anymore, but it, it was a symbol that she was married. Palestinian houses were dark, so she had to light a lamp in order to begin her search, the same way that you would find a flashlight or turn on your phone flashlight if you were searching for something in a dark place. So she is searching diligently, and we can imagine her joy at finding it. When I was a little boy, I can remember being at a family party. We got together with my cousins and aunt and uncle a good bit. And I can remember being at my aunt's house, and after the party, she realized that her wedding ring was missing. She had set it on the counter and she thought it had been thrown away. And this was either before there were garbage disposals or else she just didn't have one. So she kicked through all the food scraps in the garbage to find that ring. And she found it. Now, why would she do that? Why would anyone want to go through the garbage? Because it was important to her. She wanted that wedding ring. It meant a lot to her. So she searched through, in this case, the garbage to get to it. And that's the picture. <clears throat> this woman who lost one of her silver coins, it was so important that she wouldn't stop looking until she found it. And once again, Jesus gives us his own application here, verse 10. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. That's our main point again. Heaven rejoices. When sinners repent. Let's talk about the symbolism in this part of the parable. Who is the woman in the parable? I personally believe this woman represents the Holy Spirit. Now, before you start going in your directions, this is a parable. It is symbolism. I am not getting up and telling you that the Holy Spirit is female. Right? I did not say that. I do not believe that. But I believe that the woman in the parable is representing 
the Holy Spirit because the actions of this woman represent the activity, the actions of the Holy Spirit. Who or what then are the coins? Specifically, each of us either is or once was the lost coin. And when we were lost, God the Holy Spirit pursued us. He looked for us. He convicted us of sin and drew us to Christ. Now, in all likelihood, the Pharisees and scribes were tracking with Jesus. They knew what he was doing. They knew what he meant. And if they were, there was probably steam coming out of their ears by this point. Jesus was suggesting that God actually cares about lost sinners and actually pursues them. That is unconscionable. Now, I'm being sarcastic, but it would have been a foreign concept to these religious leaders. Because after all, they were Jewish men. They were Pharisees. They were the ones God cared about. They were the ones God was happy with. They had earned it. happy with them, not only happy with sinners, not harlots, not tax collectors. God wasn't happy with them. No. God wouldn't welcome them. God was going to judge them. That's the way it was supposed to be. So this was totally foreign to their thinking that God would pursue a relationship that he would seek to reconcile the lost, the sinful, to himself. Let's move on to the third section of the parable, and obviously this one is much longer. How many of you parents have ever lost one of your children? You're not admitting it. <laughs> we have. It happens. And we could probably spend a little while here swapping stories about which of our children. I, I was thinking at least three of our children we have very much clearly lost. I'm not sure about the fourth one as I was thinking about it, but there's still time. We can still try. <laughs> You don't need to feel bad about that. Obviously, your children are with you right now, so you found them, so that's good. And it happens to the best of us, because it happened to Mary and Joseph, right? If we go back to Luke 2, they lost the Son of God. They lost their son. So this, this happened. But the father in this story lost his son when his son seems to have been a young adult. And there may be people in the room who can relate to that, too. That in a sense, you lost your adult child. Let's read it, verse 11. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them his livelihood. It was legal for a father at his discretion to distribute his estate while he was still alive. It was legal for the son to ask for it. But it was rude. It was the equivalent of saying, drop dead, Dad. Give me what's coming to me. Ten years ago, God answered our prayers and gave us our fourth child, who is also our second son. I was trying to think of a family in the church who has two, because we have several families who have three boys, so I'm going to use my own. Two sons. So as custom was at the time, Carson was our older son, and he would receive twice as much as Carson. 
But if this were our family, with this situation playing out, Connor would come to me and ask for his inheritance now, instead of waiting until I die. And I would ask him, do you want that in large coins, or how do you want that? <laughs> Verse 13 in our passage, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all, everything he received from his dad, gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his, his possessions with prodigal, that word means wasteful, living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. So the younger, younger son gathered all he had, and how much of it did he spend? He spent all of it. The word is repeated there, isn't it? And then he wasted his possessions on wasteful living. But his waste led to his want. Now he had lack. Now he needed basic necessities. What did he do? Verse 15. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine, that's pigs. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. Now all the listeners at this time when Jesus was talking, they would have cringed at this. Pigs were unclean animals to eat or even to be around. So in their thinking, this young man had sunk as low as anyone ever could. Notice also that his father had given him everything that was due him, and now no one gave him anything. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of you, how many of my father's hired servants, have bred enough in despair, and I perish with hunger? I will rise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now, if you mark the Bible, I hope you already have underlined or circled or boxed the statement, he came to himself. This is the turning point of the story. The biblical term for this is repentance. What is that? It's a change of mind and heart that results in a change of reaction. It's like making a U-turn when you realize that you've gone the wrong way and you're lost. You thought you were going the right way, but when you realized you weren't, you turned around and went back. That's repentance. Here's some verses about repentance. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but check this out. The sorrow of the world produces death. I think that verse describes what the younger son was experiencing at this point. He repented, and that led to salvation. But the sorrow he was experiencing at that moment, the hunger he was experiencing at that moment, the death he was headed towards at that moment, that's the sorrow of the world. What leads us to repent? What leads us to change our mind? Romans 2, 4 says, the goodness of God leads you to repent. It's his grace. It's his mercy. It's his kindness to us. So he makes up his mind and he, he composes his speech in his mind. He probably had a long way to walk back. And this is what he decided he was going to say. I will rise and go to my father and say, now, if he had changed his mind but not acted on it, that would not be repentance. 
and it wouldn't have done any good. If you just sat there next to the pigs and talked to them about, you know, this is not working out so well. I think I should go back to my dad. Here's what I would tell him. If I could talk to my dad, this is what I'd tell him. And he goes to sleep that night, and then he talks to a different pig the next day and tells him the same thing. Rehashing it is not going to help. Acting on what he has decided to do is the only thing that is going to help. Verse 20, he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, and I would underline this too, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. His father was watching for him. Back then, a parent couldn't track his child with a smartphone. He didn't know where he was or when he was going to come back. But he was probably watching daily, hoping and praying that his son would return. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. Compassion is love in action. And he ran to him. You say, so what? Men did not run in that culture. That was very undignified. Nobody would ever do that. But he ran because he was so excited to see his son. The father ran to meet his son, and G. Campbell Morgan paraphrased it this way. He smothered him with kisses. He showed him love. He showed him mercy. He showed him compassion and kindness. And then the younger son began his prepared speech. It's in verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and made your sight, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. And he probably took a breath to say the next part, and he got cut off. But let's talk about the part he got out. I have sinned and am no longer worthy. That's how we must come to God. My righteousness, my best, is the equivalent of trash, filthy rags. There is no way I can come to God on my own merit, by my own works. This younger son's choice of words reveals the change that had occurred in his heart. But his father interrupted him, and that's in verse 22. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe, which was probably the father's robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now this story is a little different from the other two that make up this parable. The father didn't go in search of his son when he was lost, but he did run to meet him when he chose to come back, and he readily forgave him and rejoiced at his return. In a more subtle way, that illustrates our main point one more time. Heaven rejoices when sinners repent. So what about the symbolism in this one? Who is the father? That would be God. God the father is the father in this section of our parable. Who is the younger son? We are. You are. I am. We either still are or we once were the younger son. And those of us who come to ourselves, came to ourselves and humbly repented, found a loving father who was full of compassion and grace and mercy. And he was eager to throw his loving arms around us and forgive us and welcome us home. He didn't say, you stink. He didn't say, 
go take a bath, I'll talk to you later. He welcomed us with open arms. That's the father, that's the younger son. But that leaves one more main character. That would be the older son. Now, who is represented by the older son? He represents the Pharisees and the scribes. Back in verse 2, I told you we'd come back to them. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he, that would be the servant, said to him, the older son, Your brother has come. And, and because he, your father, has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go. Why was the older brother angry? Was he grieved by the sin of his brother? No, that was not it. He was angry that his father was throwing a party for and eating with a sinner. The entire situation seemed completely unfair to him, and he had become bitter. Let's review. Why were the Pharisees and scribes upset back in verse 2? Because this man, Jesus, receives sinners and eats with them. Now ask yourself, what is your attitude when people repent? When a mass murderer on death row prays to receive Christ, how do you respond in your heart? If your least favorite politician or athlete or entertainer suddenly became a Christian, how would you react? Would you rejoice or would you respond with skepticism? Would you object that God's mercy and forgiveness seem unfair and unjust? Do you throw a pity party like Jonah? When one of our young people comes home from camp, all excited about the decision that he or she made, do you rejoice? Or do you doubt? Are you thinking, oh, give it time, it'll wear off, everything will be back to normal? If that's how you would react to the situation I just described, you're missing out. You know what you're missing out on? Joy. Warren Wiersbe said it so well. Everybody in this chapter experienced joy except the elder brother. The shepherd, the woman, and their friends all experienced the joy of finding. The younger son experienced the joy of returning and being received by a loving, gracious father. The father experienced the joy of receiving his son back safe and sound. But the elder brother would not forgive his brother, so he had no joy. He could have repented and attended the feast, but he refused, so he stayed outside and suffered. Verse 28 continues. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. Do you see what's going on here? We already pointed out that the father went to the younger brother when he returned. But have you ever noticed that he also went out to the older brother when he returned but wouldn't come in? That's what our Heavenly Father does. He goes out to us. He sent his son to die for us. He sends his Holy Spirit to pursue us, to convict us, to bring us back. Why? 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God longs for unbelievers to repent. That's what that verse tells us. 
And he also longs for believers to rejoice when they do. Verse 29, so he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours, he doesn't call him his brother, as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he, that is the father, said to him, Son, you're always with me. All that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your mother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. Once again, we see those ideas about dead and alive and lost and found. The older brother refused to rejoice over his younger brother's restoration. Instead, he wanted a gold star for how righteous he had been. And he continued to look down on his brother because he hadn't ever sinned in that way. Does that describe you? If so, what should you do about it? You should confess the sin of self-righteousness. Confess the sin of pride. Confess the sin of bitterness. Confess the sin of an unforgiving spirit. Then what will happen? John tells us, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and righteous. He does the right thing. To do what? To forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all our righteousness. The main idea, the one I hope you'll take with you, is that heaven rejoices when sinners repent. But what about those questions I asked you to ask yourself? Have I repented? Have you repented? And by that, I mean, have you ever turned from your sin? Because repentance means to turn around, to have a change of mind, change of heart that results in a change of action. Have you ever done that? Has there ever come a time in your life where you realize, I am a sinner. I am lost. I need God to save me. I need Jesus to be my Savior. I'm acknowledging that he's the only one who can help. If not, you can do that today. You can tell what I just said. If that's what you believe in your heart, you cry out to him, he will save you. Return to you. Believers, do you rejoice when others repent? Okay, I don't know. I'm going to watch. I'm going to see how it goes. Are you ever secretly disgusted by the fact that this guy lived as a scoundrel his entire life and then he turned to Christ? God, who is rich in mercy, by the love that he loved us, made us alive, restored us to himself. And he offered the same grace and mercy to the thief on the cross as he does to the young child. And that should be cause for rejoicing. That should fill our hearts with love and appreciation for the one true Savior who saved us and now has saved someone else, rescued someone else. Our Father, we are so grateful 
for the mercy that you have shown us in Christ. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for giving us these beautiful stories of your grace, your forgiveness, your pursuit. May we thank and praise you. And may we rejoice in the pleasure of your name. In Jesus' name.